Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, and we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that that word is living and powerful and it's able to change our life. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would hide your servant behind the cross and that uh, you would speak through your word. I pray that each person that is here today, uh, man, woman, boy, girl, that, uh, Lord, you would work in such a way that we all leave encouraged and built up and are eager to get back into our mission field and and sow seeds of the gospel. So, Lord, uh, do that work in us this morning. Do that work through your word. And I just pray that uh, you'll keep your servant out of the way, and we'll just thank you and praise you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Some of you know, many of you don't know, but I I have a brother. He is... uh, uh, three years younger than I. Uh, you, you need to keep him in your prayers. Uh, he was an abused child growing up. Uh, uh, we shared a, a, a bedroom and uh, had bunk beds. And uh, my joy on being in the bottom bunk was to take my feet and hit the top bunk so hard it would knock him out of bed. And uh, then later uh, we had like a queen-size bed, same bedroom. And uh, In the middle of the night, if the Lord woke me up, I thought that that was to give my brother a Charlie horse. And so he would be dead asleep, and uh, I would whack his thigh. And and the poor guy, he survived all of that. Uh, And uh, But later, he did have leukemia, and I had the privilege of giving him bone marrow. At the time, he was in his 40s, and I was too. And uh, there was a 1 in 250,000th chance that it would work. And God performed a miracle, and it worked. Uh, maybe a little known fact, uh, as you get older, supposedly your bone marrow is supposed to dry up. And they hoped uh, a good transplant is two bags, kind of like uh, blood transfusion bags, and they pull it out of your hip bones. Uh, uh, and uh, they were worried about my age. Uh, my HLIA typing was all good, but they were, they were worried if I had a enough bone marrow. And I'm happy to report this morning that all of this is not fat. A lot of it's bone marrow uh, because, uh, because they got three bags of bone marrow out of me. And they just, they were blown away by that. Uh, I was in Alaska at the time. They brought me down to LA and then they put it into my brother and, and praise God, uh, a real miracle. Uh, uh, he is still alive and uh, kicking and uh, well and uh, leukemia-free, and uh, that was about 20 years ago. So uh, uh, when I go out to visit him, I am always amazed because he has a a green thumb, and he lives in the San Diego area, and uh, he has a greenhouse in his backyard, and he has more hanging plants than anyone should be allowed to own. I just, it's, it's unreal. And he grows all these fuchsias and 
all these succulents like donkey's tail that hangs way down, and he's got ones that'll that'll touch the ground that are about eight foot long. And so he's been doing this for a long time. And uh, he has staghorn ferns and Boston ferns, and and he just gets things to grow like crazy. And uh, the last time I was there, he had all these half whiskey barrels or wine barrels, and he was growing bamboo. Now, bamboo is not indigenous to San Diego. And uh, he was in the middle of, of separating the bamboo and, and putting new barrels. And I asked him, what is, what is your fascination with bamboo, Randy? And he said, well, I'm in the program for the zoo. The San Diego Zoo has several panda bears, and their favorite food is bamboo. And so they have enlisted people all across San Diego County to grow bamboo for the pandas at the zoo. Uh, that gets people involved with the zoo. It also cuts the cost for the zoo because they have volunteers doing their work, see? And, uh, and it also feeds the pandas, and the pandas love the bamboo. And so when uh, one whiskey barrel gets great full of, uh, of bamboo, he will take it and he will cut it in two, and he will put half of it in a new whiskey barrel with soil and so forth and grow it. And uh, then every so often he loads up... Uh, those whiskey barrels, and he takes them to the zoo for the, for the pandas and the feeding the panda program. The thing is, and I learned this from him and uh, from my mother, who was quite a gardener, that, uh, that whenever you transplant a plant, it's so it can grow bigger and healthier. But when you do that, both of the plants kind of go into shock for a little while. And leaves turned yellow, and some of them will even turn brown and die and fall off. But if you, if you keep the water up and the, the fertilizer up, the miracle grow, and, uh, and you keep it in the sunshine and so forth, it will kick in and it will start again, and you'll have twice as much as you had before, and it will grow and it will be healthy after it goes through that transition. Well, in the church, we are in a transition. And so if some of you are beginning to turn yellow and, uh, and brown and, and you think you're about to die, I want you to know that the end is in sight, okay? And, I, and my prayer is that as we look at Scripture this morning, it will be a big shot of miracle grow right in your arm or wherever you want that miracle grow. And it will bless you. It should bless you to hear Kyle's report this morning, the, uh, the report from the committee. And as we look at Scripture this morning and as we tie up the book of Psalms, we're going to look at two Psalms, Psalm 133, that is only three verses, and then the very last Psalm, Psalm 150, that's only six verses. And as we look at these two Psalms, I believe that they they are wonderful Psalms and speak of wonderful principles. I believe they give us two great principles for here at River of Life uh, for our transition and the completion of that transition. And the two principles are simply this, unity and praise. Unity and praise. And you will see what I'm talking about this morning. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Psalm 133. And like I said, it's only three verses, but what a powerful psalm it is. In Psalm 133.1, a psalm of David, we read these words, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. 
And it is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. Psalm 133, 1 through 3, a psalm of blessing and unity. Uh, what, what it tells us here in verse 1 is that, uh, that uh, God works in unity, in unity. One of the best illustrations I ever heard of unity was given by a man named Herman Williams. He was head of our, our Native American work amongst the Navajo Reservation. He lived in Tuba City. He grew up on the reservation. And uh, uh, if you don't know, in the Christian Missionary Alliance uh, down on the Navajo and Hopi Reservation, uh, uh, Four Corners area, we have uh, quite a work amongst Native Americans. We even have our own Bible school down there equipping workers. And it was Herman Williams who, who shared with me, he said, Doug, you know, if, if you only have one horse, he says, uh, you can work that horse to death. And he says, uh, you get a little bit of work done, but not a lot of work done. He said, but if you have four horses and you put them together, and he says they know how to work together. He says they all run at the same stride. They all go the same direction. Just think if you have four horses in a team and, and one's trying to go left all the time. It's kind of like having your vehicle out of alignment. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't get the pull that, that, that you wished you had. But when, when you put four horses together, it's not four times the power. It's not just four horsepower the increase that they're able to do together is exponential. And uh, I really had opportunity to witness this when I was in Iowa. We had a lot of uh, uh, Amish people, and uh, they used not the Clydesdale, but the, the Birkin. It's like Birkenstocks, but it's not. Those are sandals, okay? So I don't want you to think they were out farming in their sandals, but, uh, but, but, but there's a, a breed of horse just a little smaller than a Clydesdale. And they would use those horses and, and they could back the wagons up and they could back the plows up and the balers up and they could pull them forward and the loads they could pull. It was just unbelievable. And there were days that, that I would park alongside the, the road just to watch the Amish uh, work their teams because it, there was a majesty that came with it in watching those horses work together. But they worked well together because they were all in unity. They all went backwards at the same time. They went forwards at the same time. They turned left at the same time. They turned right at the same time. They were in unison. They had unity. And it was uh, really just a blessing to watch them work. And it was Herman Williams who told me, he says, Doug, he says, you know, unity is like a team of horses. And I've never forgotten that. Herman's been in heaven for quite a while, but I've never forgot what he taught me about the horses. We see the very same instance in, in Genesis chapter 11 with the, the Tower of Babel. Uh, men and women were rebelling against God, and they decided to build this tower. And God looks down and he says, you know, they're all of one language. They're all of one understanding. In fact, if you look at Genesis 11, it's, God says, nothing is impossible for them. Why? Because of unity. 
And he says, so we're going to make a visit, and we're going to bring about confusion. (laughs) And we're going to confuse their language. And it's there in Genesis 11 that we see that there's kind of a diaspora that goes out and different languages that begin and so forth. And uh, what God was actually doing in that case is the evil of man and woman was being played out and they were unified in it and, it and it was a powerful entity. So God left heaven, came to earth, and you can read it right there in Genesis 11, and he created confusion because in their unity he said, Nothing is impossible for them. That should begin to give us an understanding of the power of unity. Verse 1, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Now, with that in mind, I want to give you a scripture in in James chapter 1, verse 8. And some of you will know this uh, uh, by memory. But in James 1, 8, it says, Being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. The thing that should unify us is not uniformity. God's not looking for clones. God is a God of creativity, and God has given you your individuality. He's given me my individuality. Uh, God uses individuality. But unity is simply this. Unity is the willingness to set aside my agenda and my mind for the mind of Christ. Now, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. How many minds does Christ have? What? One. One. There's only one mind of Christ. And so... I need to understand right from the get-go that it's not about my mind, it's not about my agenda, although God will, will use those things. It's about my willingness to set aside my mind and my agenda and seek the mind of Christ. Now, if you'll look with me, let's look at a couple other verses. One is in uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2, and as we look at verses 1 and 2 in Philippians 2, It has this to say. It says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and this is, uh, this is, you know, people don't think that uh, God has a sense of humor. But you should all be laughing right now, okay? I I mean, the scripture says, now if there's any encouragement in Christ, ha, 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 where does our encouragement come from? I mean, this is kind of a rhetorical question. He says, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And so... So the scripture says, I don't want you to be this team of horses where all four horses are going a different direction and you get nowhere. He says, if, if I'm really the Lord, if there's really encouragement in Christ, if, if, if I'm really Lord of your life, I, I want you to be of, of the same mind and it will make my joy complete. I want you to be of the same love, united in the same intent on one purpose. And so we're to be of one purpose. 
Now, I think this is one reason he gave us the Great Commission. <laughs> because we go, oh yeah, I'll be the same one purpose. But what's our purpose? Our purpose is to go and make disciples. And to teach them. And to baptize them. To disciple them. And if that's not enough purpose for us, he's given us the great commandment in Matthew 22 where we are to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and might, and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. That'll keep us busy for a lifetime. Amen? Amen? That's our purpose, and that's what he wants us to be about. And in doing that, he emphasizes that, that yeah, the, the, we're, di- we're diverse. God likes diversity. He created it. But when we come together as the church of Jesus Christ, he wants us to be of the same mind. We see this in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount in, uh, in verse 24. And in Matthew six twenty-four, we read these words where it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. We cannot serve God and wealth. So he wants us to be of one mind, one purpose, and he wants us to understand that we, can, we can't serve two masters. We can only serve one. It's going to be the Lord or it's going to be this world. And that's why we sing songs like, This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Now some of you are saying, where in the world did that song come from? Well, about the 1930s or 40s, that's where it came from. Okay? In 1 Corinthians, uh, we read these words in, uh, in uh, verse 10. And in 1 Corinthians 10, I'll, I'll turn to it here. 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 10, uh, you know, actually uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. It says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus, that you all agree and that there be no division amongst you but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Do you kind of notice a theme in Scripture here about mind and and judgment and intent and and purpose? Uh, You see, there is such a thing as the mind of Christ. There's such a thing as the agenda of Christ. And that's what we need to be willing to seek. We need to be willing to set aside our own agenda, our own opinions, our own mind, and even our situation, and realize that unity is not uniformity, but it is the same Lord, it's the same mission, and it's the same purpose. And in Ephesians chapter 4, we get a good insight into that in verses 1 through 6, where it says this, It says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. There's one. And you know, today it may not be politically correct. Uh, Some people may not think it's uh, kosher, but remember what Jesus had to say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one cometh unto the Father but by me. And folks, I stand before Almighty God and I stand before you this morning and I proclaim there is only one way to heaven. There's not many ways. And that way is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's through the cross of Christ. It's through none other. And Scripture tells us it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. There's going to come a day where I don't care what our last name is, who we are, we're going to stand before the judge and we're going to give account. And the only thing that will get us in is what we have done with the person of Jesus Christ. Now, in our culture today, (laughs) that's seen as narrow-mindedness. That might even be seen as bigotry. Uh, You certainly aren't all-inclusive, but Jesus is all-inclusive. For the will of the Father is that all would come to repentance and turn to his Son, Jesus Christ. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, the whole world, that what? He gave his only begotten Son, the only one. And that is the way, and he is a God of unity And there is blessing that comes with unity. Now, just so we get the picture, he gives us a couple illustrations. In verse 2 of Psalm 133, he says, Unity, it's like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of the ropes. Now, Aaron was the first high priest. And some of you might be wondering here at River of Life, why, uh, why does John Randall have a beard? Why does uh, Matt Hayden have a beard? Why does Doug Grogan have a beard? Well, that's biblically correct. Aaron had a beard, okay? <laughs> no. <laughs> but, but back in the days when I grew this thing and beards weren't very popular, this became my proof text. And I would take people to this verse and I'd go, the high priest always had a beard. Well, they couldn't argue with that, (laughs) but I was just having fun. Uh, But Aaron had a beard, and what is important here is that the Lord says unity is like the anointing oil that comes down off the head of, of Aaron the high priest and onto his beard and flows to the floor. Now, we just read that, and we kind of jump over that, but you need to realize that the anointing oil was a very expensive, very special oil. And if you turn to the book of Exodus, and if you look in Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 through 25, we have the recipe for anointing oil. It says, Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take for yourself the finest of spices, the flowing myrrh, 500 shekels, and of the fragrant cinnamon, half as much, 250, and of the fragrant cane, 250, and of the cassia, 500, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and of the olive oil, a hen, which is just about a gallon. You will make of these a holy anointing oil, a perfume mixture, the work of a perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. Now, this anointing oil was was a big deal. And it was the Chanel number five of the Old Testament. You know, we have all kinds of cologne out there now. There's, uh, uh, oh, uh, 
uh, Red, uh, there's Liz Claiborne, Ralph Lauren, CK, Eternity, uh, Curves, Beautiful. Uh, and I, I don't know what the latest one is because they came out with so many. I know that when I was a kid, they had five and dime stores like Woolworths and uh, uh, this sort of thing. They were kind of like the Walgreens of the day or the CVS of the day. And uh, you could go, and, and I know that for less than $5 on a special occasion like a birthday or Christmas or whatever, I could buy for my mother a blue bottle of perfume called Evening in Grand Junction. No, what? Okay. Oh, thank you, ladies. You ladies know. Evening in Paris. Now, I don't even know if my mom liked Evening in Paris, but she sure got a lot of it because it was affordable. And it was definitely not the holy anointing oil, okay? This was expensive stuff. You would never find it in a, uh, in a five-and-dime store. Uh, it would be only your finest of department stores that you would find it uh, if they had such a thing in that day. The thing is, what God is telling us here is that unity smells good. You know, every once in a while I'll be shopping at Sam's Club and someone will pass me by and it causes me to look up because they smell good, you know? Now, sometimes there's people that pass by that, don't smell so good, and, uh, and you want to help them out. But haven't you ever been in a store or on an aisle in a grocery store or something? You're, you've got your face to the, to the merchandise and all of that, and somebody walks by and you go, ah, that smells pretty good. You ever done that? You know? Or if you're married and uh, if you're a guy and your wife uh, <laughs> comes by and she's just put on whatever she puts on, mm, smells good. Smells good. Unity smells good. Now, when I was in high school, I played football, I wrestled, and, uh, and I uh, did track. And uh, wrestling uh, was always an interesting sport uh, for me. Uh, I really should have wrestled in the 183 category. They have certain categories, and you have to make weight. Well, I wouldn't have had any trouble making uh, 183 but the guys that wrestled 183 were always really buff and in great shape. And I learned that uh, there were a lot of turkeys that wrestled in heavyweight. And it was just easier to win wrestling heavyweight. And so I would take a discus that weighs about seven and a half pounds, and I would put it in my tights, and it would help me to make weight for heavyweight because, because you had to have a minimum and you had to have a maximum. And it was just easier to wrestle at heavyweight. They weren't nearly as physically fit. And, uh, and I like to win. <laughs> so I put the discus in there, and I'd do my way in, and, uh, and, and I wrestled. And, uh, and you wore tights, and uh, I think back on it now, and it's a little bit weird. I mean, you got your head in people's armpits and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, in the wrestling room, most of the guys are trying to lose weight and make weight. And so they come in, and they don't even swallow their own saliva. They carry a cup around, and all day at school, they'll be spitting in a cup because they want to lose weight, so they don't even swallow their own saliva. And then they lay under the mats. They get the wrestling room up to about 90 to 98 degrees, 
and it's hot and, and you're working out and, and you're wrestling and you're doing moves and, and so forth. And, and then you have these guys that get underneath the, the wrestling mats. Anyone ever do this? Anyone in here ever sweat underneath it? There we go, Mike Miller. All right. See, you know I'm not nuts, right? Okay. Anyway, I'll tell you one thing about a wrestling room. It stinks. I mean, you can be walking halfway across the campus, and your nose will tell you there's a wrestling room over there, okay? And they try to put it kind of on the outskirts of most high schools because it, it's, uh, it's kind of like living next door to a dairy, you know? <laughs> you, you can smell it all the time. And, uh, and it stinks in a wrestling room. Well, there's a principle there. You walk into a church where there's unity, and you take a deep breath, it just smells good. It smells good. People like one another. They're, they're all on mission. They're all about the same purpose. They're like a team of horses going together. They're, they're accomplishing a lot. You walk into a church where there's disunity, and it doesn't take you but a few minutes, and you can smell it. It doesn't smell good. People aren't smiling at one another. People aren't talking to one another. There's little huddles around and a whispering going on. It's disunity. And quite frankly, friends, it stinks. And it stinks in the nose of God. And God says, I want you to know something. When there is unity, it's like the precious anointing oil coming down upon the beard of Aaron. It smells good. It causes, it causes your, your nose to pick up and it causes all your senses to heighten because it smells good and it's favorable in the sight of the Lord. Now, thirdly here, well, secondly, actually, it's the third verse. He compares unity to the dew of Hermon, Mount Hermon. And because you live here in Grand Junction, folks, you're going to understand this probably better than anyone else in the American church today. It says, It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, Life forever. Mount Hermon is exactly like the Grand Mesa, except it's not flat on top. Okay? We live in the Grand Valley, right? And above the Grand Valley, we have the Uncompadre Plateau, and we have the Grand Mesa. Now, this morning, what a wonderful morning. I mean, it was a little nippy, but a bluebird day, not a cloud in the sky. And as you come down, you see the bright red of, of the monument with uh, the sun shining on it, and, and just this vibrant blue sky. You don't know how lucky we are, folks. In middle America, it, because of all the humidity, 99% of the time it's gray because that moisture is hanging in the air. And, and you, may have a, you may have a blue day once in a while, but it's once in a while. We have blue days all the time, amen? And, and it's part of where we live. And we live in this grand valley, and if it weren't for the Uncompadre Plateau and it weren't for the Grand Mesa, we would be living in a desert. Actually, we are living in a desert, high desert, and that's what we live in. But 
we become this basket of fruit trees and and vineyards and and corn and and hay and and all this stuff that brings about life and and nourishes life and and it's all the way from from uh, cameo from from palisades out through through Mac and Loma all the way to the to the state line as long as they can get water to it. And so we're down here. How many of you shoveled your driveway this morning? Nobody. How many of you uh, uh, had to throw down salt before you could walk out to your vehicle? None of you. And yet, just a few miles from here, just six miles above my house, at Powderhorn Ski Resort, there are tons of people skiing this morning. And uh, we got a, a little snow yesterday, so maybe they have a little pow- powder, but it's been pretty icy lately. But at our place, it's even melted off, and it looks like spring. But I understand that at the end of January, up on top of the Grand Mesa, they had 276 inches of snow. Now, that's a lot of snow. And they're saying there are parts on the Mesa that by the 4th of July will not be melted. And, of course, it was that way last year. But when it does melt, it runs down the mountain, and it comes through Plateau Creek and Mesa Creek and uh, Canna Creek and other creeks, and, and they flow into the Gunnison, and they flow into the Colorado, and, and, and we're known as the Grand Junction because the Gunnison and the Colorado come together, and there's all this water that brings about life. Now, I hate to disappoint you, but with the warm uh, winter we've had, we may not have any peaches this year. Have you noticed the trees are budding out already? Have you noticed the bomb willows that are already lighting up green? I know it's got to be doing something to the peach buds. And the thing is, if we get a hard freeze, once they get out so far, uh, then all of a sudden we're paying $40 a flat for peaches instead of $5 a flat like at the end of last year. Uh, it, it can damage our crop, but it's the cold. It's not... It's not for the lack of water. And if you notice Psalm 133.3, it says, It's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing life forever. And in the Holy Land, is much like Grand Junction. People live at the base of the mountain in desert. But the mountain collects the water. And down off the mountain comes the life forever, the water. Uh, Even in the summertime, you go up on the Grand Mesa and it's green and it's beautiful and it's lush. And and I found a fellow watching over one of the campgrounds up there just because he couldn't afford air conditioning down here in Grand Junction. So, So he bought an RV instead and every summer he oversees the Ward Lake campground. And that's his, that's his solution to air conditioning because it's air conditioned up there all the time. <laughs> uh, life forever. And this is what God's talking about, a situation just like ours that here is Mount Hermon that collects all the snow, collects all the water, and then feeds the desert valley and gives it life forever. He says unity is like that. It brings about life. It smells good. And there is blessing that comes with unity. Boy, the search committee modeled that. 
they started out, I believe, with eight resumes, and as they gave us their report, and Brandon and Kyle, you correct me, uh, they were all over the place, but as they worked together independently, the Holy Spirit of God brought them to the same conclusion unanimously. Correct? God works in unity. But we've got to be open to the working of God. We've got to be open to setting aside our agenda and seeking the mind of Christ and determining what the mind of Christ is. And when we do that, there will be blessing. They brought their report to the board, and the board listened, and the, Lord, uh, the board asked questions, and uh, the board uh, prayed, and the governing board accepted their recommendations unanimously. Right, Jeff? Absolutely. And God has been blessing in this whole process because of the principle of unity. And I believe that he will continue to bless as long as we seek the mind of Christ. Because Jesus has how many minds? One. Only one. And we need to seek the mind of Christ. Now, the second principle is the very last chapter of the book of Psalms, and it's only uh, six verses long. And we'll go through real quick here, and this is what it has to say. It's talking about praise, and it says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty expanse. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the trumpet sound. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with the tremble and dancing. Praise Him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. As we look at verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty expanse. And, and, and what the psalmist is saying is, praise God in heaven. Do you realize that there is an eternal praise service going on in heaven? Uh, some of you are aware of a preacher by the name of Louis Giglio, and I, I love to listen to Louis Giglio and what God shares with him. And he has a message based on Matthew twenty four fourteen that says that the gospel will be preached to every tongue and every tribe, and then the king will return. And he had just discovered that verse, and he was all excited. And he put together a sermon entitled, Let's Get the Party Started. And in the middle of this sermon, he says, You know, when uh, you get to heaven, there won't be any more Bible study or preaching. He says, because 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that when we stand face to face, we will know fully as we have been fully known, we're, we're going to be know-it-alls when we get to heaven. But we're know-it-alls with a purpose, and the purpose is to praise God. And so in heaven, uh, since time just started for us with the fall, in heaven there's always been praise, and there will always be praise, just as there is life forever, there is praise forever, and there's this continual praise service going on. A few weeks ago, uh, John Randall preached a great message on Psalm 103, and he touched on this. In verses 20 through 23 of Psalm 103, it says, Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, and this means heavenly hosts, you who serve him doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his in all the places of his dominion, bless the Lord, O my soul. 
And then if we flip over to Revelation chapter 4, we get a picture of, of what it's going to look like as, as uh, John gets this glimpse. For in Revelation chapter 4, beginning at uh, verse 4, it says, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon those thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Out of the throne comes flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the thrones, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something else like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in the front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature like the face of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around them. And within the day and the night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. There is an eternal praise service going on in heaven. God's just not talking about praising him here on earth, but he's talking about praising him in the heavens and and in the worlds that uh, uh, he has created. We get a glimpse of this with the prophet Isaiah in uh, Isaiah chapter 6, when in the year of King Uzziah's death, uh, in his mourning, finally Isaiah looks to heaven, and this is what he sees. It says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, and two with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was being filled with smoke. God invented praise. God knows all about praise. And there is this eternal praise service going on in the heavens. And so God says it starts in heaven, okay? Let praise reign in the sanctuary. And then in verse 2, he says, Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him. And so in, great two, in verse 2, we see that we are to praise God for his greatness. Now, I don't believe you can live in Grand Junction, Colorado, or any of the surrounding areas, and not behold the greatness of God. Looking up at that blue, blue sky this morning, there was the greatness of God. Looking at the monument with all the different hues of reds and pinks and salmons and so forth with the sun shining on it, you you can't help but see the greatness of God and feel dwarfed as you stand next to it or as you ride down the freeway. Looking back at the Grand Mesa and all the snow that's contained up there, You know, take a good look and look at the snowbanks along the edges of the mesa. They they are they are feet thick. I mean, you got forty, fifty, sixty feet of snow hanging on the edge up there. And and then they have to tell us that there's an avalanche danger. You know. It's like you can't look and figure that out. (laughs) And and have you ever seen an avalanche? Talk about the power and the majesty of God. And then if you're up high looking down on the Grand Valley, I was talking to Karen this morning, 
and where her house is, she sees the whole Grand Valley and the rivers winding their way through and, and, and the thumbprint of God is every place we look. Praise him for his greatness. And then, and then in verses 3 through 5, it's telling us praise him with intensity. It says praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with harp and lyre, praise him with tremble and dancing, praise him with stringed instruments and pipe, praise him with loud cymbals, praise him with resounding cymbals. I love our worship team with the guitars and, and the drums and the violin at times and the keyboard and, and the cello at times and and, and now, Mark, I thank you for bringing your harmonica. It, 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 it all, it all adds. And, and there's intensity with it. And, and there's things like crescendo. And, and then, uh, what is it called? Piamissimo, where it gets quiet, you know? I, I'm going all the way back to the fourth and fifth grade now, folks. That's, that's a long time for me, okay? And, and, and yet, we are to praise them with intensity. Uh, I had the opportunity of having uh, Jerry and uh, Vadana uh, Winterholter invite Peggy and I to the Air Force Academy band concert that was at the Avalon a week or two ago. And they had all the brass instruments there. They actually had one bass uh, vial, uh, uh, but they had all these instruments, and there was great intensity in the music. And it was moving. It was powerful. As all these instruments, a band of diversity, but playing in unity. <laughs> and as far as I could tell, they, they all played the right notes. Now, you might want to talk to Vadana because she was a music teacher, and she might have heard things that I didn't. But to me, it was wonderful. It was powerful. It was with intensity. Now, I want to tell you a quick story on a person in our church. And I got their permission, so it's okay. Uh, many of you know Verna. She works in the office. She's our receptionist and, and uh, prints your bulletin and does all kinds of good stuff. And we're very thankful for her. Uh, she was raised in uh, western Pennsylvania. And uh, 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 poor Verna, being raised in western Pennsylvania in the Christian and Missionary Alliance as she was, it was about like being raised Amish, okay? You, you need to understand... Things used to be a lot more stricter than they are today, okay? And back in those days when I was a young boy and a, and a teenager, uh, if you were uh, in the Alliance, you were discouraged uh, about going to dances. You were discouraged about uh, 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 not only going to dances. Uh, I was going to say you were discouraged uh, in drinking. You were discouraged in chewing. You were discouraged in, uh, in going to movies and all these things. My wife was an Alliance pastor's wife. Uh, uh, Alliance, well, she is an Alliance pastor's wife. But she was an Alliance pastor's daughter. And, and so I had to date other girls to go to shows. Um, <laughs> and she thought I was breaking her heart, but I just didn't want to see the movie alone. You know, I had nothing to do, just good company, you know. But, but that's how it used to be, okay? And so you've got to understand that, that Verna came out of this background. Well, she's with her mother in western Pennsylvania. Her mother is dying. Her mother's kind of going into a coma and then coming out. And she would ask questions like, uh, am I there yet? And, uh, and then she was getting little glimpses of heaven. 
And I've been around enough people that when they die, especially Christians, I think this often happens. God gives us a little glimpse into what is to come. And it was the last time that Verna's mom opened her eyes before she went to be with Jesus. She opened her eyes and she looked at Verna and she had the biggest smile. And she said, Verna, I think we should have learned how to dance. And she closed her eyes, and she went to be with Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that does something for me. Because God's word says that we are to praise him with intensity. And David danced, didn't he? And if we are worshiping God, (laughs) uh, you can let it hang out. Uh, He wants you to worship with passion and with intensity. And then lastly this morning... We are to praise the Lord here on earth. Notice what it says in verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And folks, we have lots to praise the Lord for today. God has sustained our church. God gave us an awesome search committee. They did one of the best jobs of searching and work that I have ever seen, and that's as a district superintendent. Uh, uh, There was great unity, great unity to the board. Folks, God is at work in River of Life Alliance Church, and we can give him praise. Amen? Amen? And so these are the two principles for transition, unity and praise. Uh, There are, of course, other ones, but these are two good ones. And so as we close this morning, may God give us a mind of unity and a heart of praise that comes forward. And may those take us through the candidating and into what God has for us. And I don't know what God has for us, but I know it's something good. I know it's something good. And it's going to be life forever. It's like the water's coming down off the Grand Mesa and into the Grand Valley. uh, Peach crop like you couldn't believe. That's what God wants to do in our church, and that's what he wants to do in your life and my life. Amen? Amen? Let's pray before the worship team comes. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for these principles, and and we thank you that unity uh, uh, smells good to you. We thank you, Lord, that there is blessing that comes with unity. And so, Lord, we thank you for the unity that is in our church, and, and we give you great praise for that. And, Lord, we praise you for what you're doing. We praise you for what you're going to do. And, uh, Lord, we just lift our hands in adoration, and we thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for what you're doing in us and through us and around us. And we just give you praise this morning, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.